The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So Lord, we do, we do love your name. We do love celebrating all that is true of us, all that is ours through Jesus Christ. We do love the hope and the steadfast joy that's ours in Jesus. So Lord, I pray that this would just be a moment in our lives of reorienting our hearts around the person and work of Jesus in such a way that we would be different, that we'd be changed. That would be a miracle of your Holy Spirit, and we count on it day by day and in this moment as well. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was just to set expectations. I'm not planning any songs or props. Just, just not, don't get your hopes up. I told Pastor David he set a high bar last week that I'm not going to live up to. Um, but these last two weeks, uh, what we've been seeing in this sermon series on our mission statement is that we want to be a people that take deep joy in the supremacy of God in all things. We want to take deep joy in the supremacy of God in all things. In other words, both Bruce and David called us to not just know that God is supreme in all things, but to, to love it, to take joy in it, to have it be kind of the deep-rooted foundation of our Christian existence. And when that's true, then we'll want to spread that joy to all peoples, right? If you know that the supremacy of God in all things is the very bedrock for your faith, the very bedrock of all reality, and you love that, you will spread that. You, you have to spread that. And this morning, my joyful job is to show how all that happens through Jesus Christ. So if you were going to look at Ephesians 1 to 3, and we're going to get there in a minute, you would find that references to Jesus, either his name or the phrase in him or through him, I counted as I went through 52 references. So if you're wondering how supreme, how much is Jesus a part of all this, 52 times in three chapters says he's a large part of it. He is the key that unlocks the door to our true joy in God's supremacy. So I want you to think about that. If you don't see Jesus, if you don't get Jesus, you don't get anything that we talked about the last two weeks. But if you see him, you can't help but get everything <laughs> that we talked about the last two weeks. I want to start with a verse in 1 Peter 1.8. Pastor David read this in his sermon last week, and he was talking about faith and love and joy. And here's what 1 Peter 1.8 says. Though you have not seen him, that's Jesus, you love him. That's a miracle. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now this verse tells us that when we believe in Jesus, we rejoice with joy. But this just isn't any joy. There's two adjectives that describe this joy. The first one is says that it's an inexpressible joy. Inexpressible. We can kind of all understand that. I'm sure that you've all had moments in your life where you were so happy you could barely speak. 
Right? Or you were so thankful, so full of joy, that there wouldn't have been enough words to just express all that was in your heart, right? And these things normally happen not in stuff like the Vikings or the Packers winning. These kind of moments happen in, right, your, your son coming out of the, the operating room of open heart surgery, right? You just, joy, inexpressible. It's those kinds of deep-rooted moments. So we all get that. I've had a few of those in my life. But what's a joy filled with glory? What, what does that mean? What's that phrase mean? Well, the literal translation would be a glorified joy. An inexpressible and a glorified joy. So what does that mean? And I think in reading it, tracing the idea of glory, reading some commentators on it, I think it means that it's a heavenly joy invading the earth. Does anyone want some kind of sturdy joy, like a a heavenly joy that invades this broken world? Right? I think it means it's an unshakable joy invading our shaky existence. It's an infinite joy invading our finite world. It's the joy we will experience forever in the presence of the glory of God invading our broken world and our imperfect hearts now giving us a sweet, steady foretaste of eternity. Could anyone use any of that kind of joy in the day and age we're living in? Right? All of us could use that kind of joy. We spend so much time in our day and age, and this is the air we breathe, so if you don't think you do it, just stop and and talk to yourself for a little bit, right? That's not crazy. That's actually helpful. Stop and talk to yourself once in a while and ask if you are asking yourself these kinds of questions. Who am I? Who am I? What should I hope in and hold on to in this life? Why am I here what should I do with my life? Right? And, and this morning, what I want to do, maybe it sounds counterintuitive, but what I want to do is I want to free you from the shakiness of making sure you have the right answers to those questions, the right answers, and instead free you to rejoice with glorified joy in your supreme identity in Jesus, your supreme inheritance in Jesus, and your supreme itinerary in Jesus. In other words, the air that you're breathing is not a Christ-centered air where you're asking those questions in reference to Christ. The air that we're breathing is the kind of air that's circumstantial, right? Who am I in reference to my job or my achievements or my family? Who am I in reference to some other kind of circumstance or how people view me? And I want to free you to go, Man, we can think about all those things, but man, they are far and away secondary to what God already says about me. Free you from getting the right answer. Free you from having some sort of internal existential crisis that the world around you has created that the Bible has already solved on your behalf. And rejoice with glorified joy. And I think as we see this, our supreme identity, our supreme inheritance, and our supreme itinerary, we will rejoice again in the supremacy of God through Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we will want to spread it to our neighborhoods and to the nations to rejoice with us with that glorified joy that comes through faith in Jesus. Let's dive in. Point number one, supreme identity in Jesus. And the case that I'm making this morning 
is that God is seen as supreme when we take our deepest joy in these things. When we don't find our deepest identity in something else, but our deepest identity in what he says, he's glorified. We don't take our our deepest inheritance as clinging to the things of this life, but what he says is ours, he's glorified. When we don't go, what am I supposed to do and who am I supposed to be and go, I got to figure that out in some secondary way in this world, but go, my life is about making much of Jesus, he's glorified. So we're going to dive in and try to prove how that happens through Jesus Christ. So all I'm going to say today is going to come right from Ephesians 1 to 3, so you can kind of follow along as I reference verses. And I just want to offer you a quick encouragement. As I was diving into Ephesians 1 to 3 this week, I remembered that I used to have it memorized during seminary. When we were going through this in Greek and diagramming and arcing, I used to have this memorized, and I thought as I was going through and saturating myself again, I should do that again. So I want to encourage you. This is going to be a little bit of a, a race to the finish line with all that's in these chapters, but man, maybe we give ourselves to Ephesians 1 to 3 next year as a people because there are riches here that would anchor our souls. So first, we're going to talk about supreme identity in Jesus, and we're going to talk about it individually. Who are you as an individual in Jesus? And then we're going to talk about it corporately because they're both in Ephesians and they both matter. So first, individually, there is a ton of talk these days about identity, right? It's where the whole idea of identity politics comes from. There are lots of books out there dedicated to helping you find your true self. I was in a Barnes and Noble the other day, and there's a big old section, right? Find your true self was the heading. I thought, thank you. I've been looking, right? So, right, there's, there's all these sections that just are going to give you all the answers, right? The number one moral code of our day is express yourself, right? You be you, find you, and then be you and express you. And there's a lot of pressure in that, right? We just watched a movie as a family the other night where the main line of the movie was, I choose me. I choose me, <laughs> As the mantra, if you don't get why that's really messed up, right? I choose me. And that's just the air we breathe. Now let me be nuanced here. I believe every person in this room has inestimable worth because they're made in the image of God. I believe every person in this room that's been saved by Jesus Christ is wired and formed by circumstances and certain realities and the gifts that God's given that are unique. I believe all of that. You have experiences and interests and gifts that make you uniquely wired and gifted for the glory of God and the good of His people, this people. We need your gifts. We need your uniqueness. But that's not your supreme identity. You don't get any of your worth from that. Right, that's just like the cherry on top. It's God doing cool things in his people for the glory of his name. That's not your supreme identity. And if you operate like it is, if you operate like my uniqueness, my gifts, where I'm serving, what I'm doing in this moment or next month or where my life is headed, if you operate like that's your supreme identity, then you will live a life riding waves of confusion back and forth from self-promotion to self-pity depending on how well things are going. 
you'll just be stuck on that hamster wheel of, how am I doing? Am I doing enough? It's going well. Look it. Or, man, I'm not doing enough. I'm not going anywhere. No one look, right? I'm just going to be self, full of self-pity. And that does not sound like glorified joy. That doesn't sound unshakable to me, and I want more for us than that. That's circumstantial, shaky joy. Let me give you an example, right? I do a job where everyone calls me by my job, right? Pastor Dave, right? Y'all call me that, right? No, none of you just call me Dave. That's fine. I get why you do it. But, right, that could have some connotations that could make me begin to think, that's who I am, right? I'm, I'm pastor, and I'm not Dave in Christ, I'm pastor first, and all of a sudden, man, when I'm knocking it out of the park, good sermon, Pastor Dave, man, what a great counselor, thanks for the way you're organizing, right? I'm like, yes, I'm doing stuff for Jesus. And then when I preach, right, I just hit a single, or maybe I strike out, you guys can tell me what you think, on a Sunday morning, or I make a bad decision, or I say something that's not helpful in a counseling session, all of a sudden, what, I'm just deflated, and I'm just riding that wave. That's not who I am. Right? That's not my deepest identity in Jesus. That's not what defines me. No, no opinions define me. None of my works define me. It's not that it's not important. Hear that. But it's not my supreme or my first identity. Better than riding that wave would be for me to see who I am in Christ and let that be my steady anchor and pastor out of that. Right? Pastor out of the, the rest that I found in Jesus. So if you walk through Ephesians 1 to 3, I just encourage you to do this later on. Just begin to circle or underline or highlight the phrases in Christ, through Christ, with Christ. You just find them all over the place. And those phrases are part of a doctrine called union with Christ. Union with Christ. It means that by faith we've been united to Jesus Christ. His death to sin counts as my death to sin. His resurrection life now lives in me now and forever. That's how real it is. I'm in Him That's not just a propositional thing to know. That's the reality of your life if you're a Christian. It also means that when God looks at me and you, if you're in Christ, He sees us as He sees His Son. We're covered in His righteousness. So He looks at us and He goes, Beloved Son, Beloved Daughter. And circumstances don't change that because He paid for it. He paid for it all. So you might be sitting in here today and just trying to figure out who you are and what God thinks about all that you've got going on. Right? There might be hidden stuff in your life. There might be failures at your work. There might be all sorts of messiness in your life. You're just going, who am I? And what does God think of me? Well, I just want to encourage you that you don't need to guess. Ain't nothing subjective about it. <laughs> nothing at all. I'll tell you what is true about your identity if you've trusted in Christ. And you can know that it's what God thinks and not just what I think because I'm going to get it right from His Word. So let's walk through chapter 1 and I'm just going to kind of go, I'm going to say the verse, you can get your eyes on it, and I'm going to list the characteristic of who you are in Jesus. So here's what we see in chapter 1. If you look at verse 3, 
It says that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many spiritual blessings? All of them. Everyone. Verse 4, we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So if you're thinking, well, maybe he died for me, but now he's wondering if he can give me back. Remember that he chose you before the foundation of the world. Right? You are not just a last-second add-on to the team. <laughs> You're chosen before the foundation of the world in Jesus. Or verse 5, you are loved and adopted children through Jesus Christ. Loved and adopted today because of Jesus. Or verse 7, we're redeemed That means brought out of the slave camp, brought to the table as sons and daughters were redeemed and forgiven completely through his blood, his grace lavished on us. No little grace, but like a feast of grace lavished on his people. What about chapter 2? Look at verse 6. We are raised with Christ. Or verse 7, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Or verse 8, we're saved by grace from our sins. Or verse 13, we are brought near by His blood. No longer strangers and aliens, but brought near. Verse 14, we are at peace with God. So are you weary this morning? Are you struggling for joy? Let me just read you a summary of who you are again from those verses I just read if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. Here's who you are. You are blessed, chosen before time, loved and adopted into the family, redeemed, forgiven, raised to new life, brought near, and at peace with God. That's who you are today. That's who you are today. And if you you could believe that, if you get all the, the garbage that the world's trying to get you to figure out and believe this down to the, the core of your being, you would be radically changed. And I'm believing that God's going to do it because He gives us His Holy Spirit to do more than we could ask or think by the power of Him working inside of us. I'm trusting Him to just press this deep into your bones this morning for you to believe it, to grab a hold of it, to love it. And none of that, notice none of that is based on your performance. That's all based on the performance of Jesus. None of it's based on your performance. It's all based on the performance of Jesus. It's not based on you figuring out your purpose and then knocking it out of the park. Not based on any of that. Right? You can't out-sin this identity. It's the whole reason it's in there because you're a sinner who needs this kind of Savior. God did the work and God declares your identity. It's actually an affront and just a prideful response against God to go, well, yeah, except for me. (laughs) Not except for you. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Right? That I might be an example of God's perfect patience. Any of you racked up the sinful resume of Paul? I doubt it. Maybe in our hearts. Now, I'm not saying you don't have other identities. I'm not saying that. We even see some of those kinds of words in the New Testament. Maybe you have identities that feel like they define you. You just feel them down to the core of your being. Like mom. Like how much weight does that word just carry? Or American. Or 
widow, or divorced, or Republican, or whatever. Right now, those words, they carry real pain. They carry real history. I'm not saying those things aren't real. I'm just saying that by the grace of God, they are secondary. Amen. They're secondary. They don't define you. They're not the supreme identity that you have. And your ultimate joy does not have to be tied to it. None of it. Maybe it's not a word for you. Maybe it's a status in your career. Now, like you're waiting, and you know what that next job title is if you graduated up to it, and you're waiting like, if I could just, then I would know who I was. Or maybe it's a success or a failure in your life. Like, oh, this thing that I did, it defines me, right? Or this failure, it defines me. Or maybe it's some past sin against you. Like someone really hurt you, really sinned against you. Or maybe some past sin that you've committed that you think defines you. It doesn't. It doesn't not because I'm saying it and I want you to feel better. It doesn't because that's what God says. That's what He says. Believe Him. Take every thought captive to Christ. Right, when those thoughts come in, you can say, and that's why we can sing that song that Nick keeps making us sing, right? Where are your accusers now? Right? Where are they? Right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? That's what you preach to yourself. That's what you keep saying to yourself. You believe God more than you believe you. Right? Everything I just said is right in Ephesians 1 and 2. Right? I'm just quoting what he says about you, so believe God rather than you. I'd love it if this next week you just asked yourself what it could look like to look up to God and let Him define your identity. Blessed, chosen, adopted, loved, redeemed, forgiven, raised to new life, brought near to God, at peace with God, rather than spend your life anchoring your heart on some secondary reality. What would that look like? I know you because I know me. You wake up and the troubles come rushing. You're laying in bed at night and they come rushing. You're rehearsing these things about who you are. That's what we do. And God would say, preach to yourself. Right? Hope in God. I will again praise Him. Right? Hope in God. And God-given identity isn't just individual, but it defines us as a family as well. So I'm just going to read chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. So you can turn there, follow along, look at our corporate, our family identity in Jesus. So then... You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right? That's, a, that's a family identity. That's a bigger-than-you identity. What is the family identity? Citizens and members of the household that is the family of God. 
You belong to the family of God. We belong together to the family of God. This people, some of you on live stream, this people here, those watching that call, yourself, call this place home, these people, for better or for worse, are your people. These are your people. <laughs> for better or for worse. That sounds like a vow. It is a vow. That's what it means to be a Christian. For better or worse, these are your people. This people, in all of our dysfunction, and all of our messiness is the holy dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's what this people is. That's not up for grabs. That's not up to our performance. That's what this people is. This people is your people, and this people is a Spirit-inhabited people. Do you, do you feel the anticipation when you walk in this room? What could God do with a Spirit-inhabited family? This glorified joy comes as a family as we realize our deepest family identities to the people of God he puts us with. When you think about your life, do you think, this is my family? This is it. This, this, is, this is my first allegiance. This is my family. It's what the Bible says. The citizenship and membership in this family takes priority over any other group. Right? So let me give you a funny example. Today, the Packers and Vikings play. I'm a Packers fan. True confessions. Yeah, there was, there was, you're groaning. See? You're making my point. You're applying it for me. This, right? And because of that, because I'm a Packers fan, my poor kids who I've brought to Minnesota are constantly teased by other adults when they wear their Packers gear. Right? I mean, I understand the broken, dysfunctional place that's coming from with all the losing. But if my identity was mainly in the Packers or yours was mainly in the Vikings, we couldn't be family. Right? You can't treat my kids that way. Right? But, but it's not. It's not. Right? And, and that's an easy one. That's a funny one. That was to warm you up for some hard ones. What about our ethnicities. Do those come first before identity in Jesus? That's a huge part of who we are. It's a real identity. Does it come before who we are in Jesus? Of course not. What about our political opinions? I just want you to let the reality, because we've just seen it, right? How does that work out practically in your life? How does that work out in the day-to-day emotions of your heart? What about our opinions on COVID policies? Masks. Vaccines. I say that? Right, did you you want one of these green stickers for a little bit more distance around the holidays, or did you see it and it just enraged your heart? And if it enraged your heart, or if you wanted one, Is that going to change how you operate in this family? Are you going to let this secondary thing become primary? Now, I'm not saying don't have opinions. Have at them. Research. Do what you think is wisest. I've got opinions about all these things. You'll probably never know them, ever, until heaven. 
But our shared identity in Jesus that is primary should lead to a family that actually exponentially multiplies our glorified joy. (laughs) Right? If we're centered on Jesus individually and as a family, when you come in this place, when you interact in your small group, when you come to a night of worship, when you come to a Wednesday meal, this place should multiply exponentially our joy in Jesus. So what has happened? What has happened in the last year or 18 months when we've often been the cause of each other's grief rather than joy? What's happened? We have made secondary things primary. We forgot that this is our people. (laughs) Centered around the reality we have in Jesus. And we have allowed Satan to make our secondary identities into his playground. And he is having fun at the expense of the church. This is where he loves to play. Just hear me on this. He loves to play individually and corporately on these secondary identities, on these secondary issues. Do you want to know why? Because he can't touch our supreme identity individually or corporately. He can't touch it. He can't make you less chosen. He can't make you less blessed. He can't make you less predestined unto adoption as sons. Or he can't make you less forgiven or redeemed. He can't make us less family. Right? Ephesians 4, if I could skip ahead of chapter, says be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It says maintain because it's a reality that we're just called to not mess up. He can't touch those things. Satan cannot touch those things. So what he does, he goes... Let me go play in the peripheral of their hearts. Let me go play in the the peripheral, the secondary identities that they have that they're so inundated by the world that I've made to rock them to sleep that they are going to start to think they're primary. If he can distract us from our supreme identity individually or corporately, he's got us right where he wants us. But if we believe what God says, we don't have to stand for it. We have to stand resist the devil, and he will flee. Family, what if we spent some time remembering our supreme identity in Jesus individually and as a family and let it just reorient our hearts, reorient our minds towards God and towards each other? I think we'd experience more of that glorified joy and want to spread it. Second point. The last two are quicker, I promise. Let's look at our inheritance. Chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. Dig in with me there. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. In Christ, we have an eternal inheritance. You go and read 1 Corinthians 3. It says this whole world belongs to us. 
What's our inheritance? The whole world, the whole thing, all of it. Everything belongs to us, so why are we pining after things now? If we have believed in Jesus and we heard the gospel, then we are fully, freely, and forever His, and we will be to the praise of His glory for all of eternity. In other words, for all of eternity, we will go, He saved us. He kept us. He saved me. He kept me. Can you believe it? Can you believe that we're here? And just for all of eternity, the praise of His glory, that we have our inheritance, that we made it. Our inheritance is the new heavens and the new earth where sin and suffering will be no more. Our inheritance is the presence of God Himself. Jesus bought it. The Holy Spirit seals it and guarantees it in the here and now until we get there. So if that's true of us, why do you and I hold on so tightly to the things of this world? I say you and I because I do. It's things I hold on to. I get anxious about What are you holding on to? What are you hoping in? What are you longing for? What's the circumstance that you think would bring you heaven here on earth now if it just changed a little bit? What's the circumstance that you just think, if I just had that, everything would be different? What if God says, you have the world and me forever? Does that that change anything? Does that change how you think and breathe and act? You have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit sealing and keeping you. This inheritance is already yours and one day will be fully realized. There is nothing that can take that away. There's no instability in your workplace that can steal this inheritance. And I know a lot of you are experiencing a lot of that. This feels like, what's next? It's all unstable. All it is is change. None of that can change your inheritance. There is no political agenda that can steal this inheritance. None of it. It just can't be done. They can't touch it. This was purchased by Jesus and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but if we were to look up at verse 18, we'd see that the saints, that's us, are the inheritance of God. We're the inheritance of God. We will have Him and He will have us. Jesus purchased us in our inheritance. The Spirit sealed us for our eternal inheritance. And the Father is working to make sure He has us as His inheritance. This means we can loosen our grip on stuff here. Just just take a breath. It's okay. You're going to be with Jesus forever. It's okay. We can rest from our anxiety. We can have something better to long for than that next vacation or that secure retirement or that next president or governor or that next season of life that offers rest. And again, this doesn't mean don't plan or don't vote or don't take a vacation. I'm not saying any of that. It just means don't hope in it. Don't hope in it. Don't let your joy be caught up in it. Have your joy tied up in your eternal inheritance. Kids, when this Christmas comes, and you get that new toy or that new experience, you will think for a moment, my life is better. (laughs) You will. You'll think, I'm better. I'm actually a better person somehow because of this thing I have. Adults will do it too. Yep, 
But kids, that joy will wear out. For some of you in 10 minutes, to the chagrin of your parents. (laughs) But this inheritance will never wear out. Right? Moth and rust can't destroy any of this. It's yours forever, kids, if you trust in Jesus. Now I know this is not automatic. This isn't just a mechanism I say, let's do this and we do it. And I want you to hear that I don't want you to feel condemned if you're struggling in these areas. This is not a condemnation. This is an invitation. (laughs) This is an invitation into glorified joy that has already been purchased for you by Jesus. This is an invitation to take what is rightfully yours in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, supreme itinerary in Jesus. Listen to Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the new itinerary. Finding our joy in Jesus as we realize all our lives are meant to be for good works that he's prepared for us to walk in. In other words, all Ephesians 2.10 is really calling us to is lives that reflect the realities of our individual and family identities and our eternal inheritance. Listen, Jesus is going, I saved you, (laughs) redeemed you, filled you with my Holy Spirit. Why don't we go ahead and do some stuff together? (laughs) Why don't we go ahead and love our neighbors? Why don't we love that difficult co-worker? Why don't we love that difficult church member? Why don't you show some hospitality together? Why don't you love on your kids with all your heart? Why don't you you just walk with me? Walk with me on this new itinerary in light of your identity and in light of your inheritance. He has placed you where you are sovereignly, in your home, at your job, in your neighborhood, for his purposes. So know your identity to your core. Know your inheritance to your core. And let it be the air that you breathe that gives life to your heart. And then just wake up every day and go, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do today? Make your whole life about helping other people towards the supreme identity and supreme inheritance that brings them glorified joy in Jesus for all of eternity. Now I'm not saying quit your jobs Get up with your family every day, order 700 of those small New Testaments and walk around and knock on doors all the time. There might be a place for that. I think we're going to have door hangers for you to put on your neighbor's doors. So at some point, we want you to walk around with your family and put stuff on doors. But I'm saying, order your life around your supreme individual and family identity. Order your life around your supreme inheritance. And that could mean reordering some of the priorities that are currently priorities in your life. Right? It could mean that. It could mean you, you don't do that thing or you do do that thing. Right? You, you don't do that thing or you do do this thing. And ask God, what do you want me to do with my time? What do you want me to do with my money? What do you want our, our family to be about? Where do you want us to minister and, and love and rest and play? All those things are important. And then in all of your playtime and in all of your hard work, 
and in all of your shuttling kids around to sports and dance and band and everything else, and in all of your small groups, and in all of our Sunday worship, and at your workplace, and on your family walks, and in your neighborhoods, and in everything, be about the good works God has sovereignly planned beforehand and is inviting you to walk in. Just be about his work. If you go, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? Ephesians 3 is so encouraging to me. It says that he's going to do more than we could ever ask or even think by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. How are you going to do this? You're going to say, Lord, help. I want to know my identity in you more. I want to love my inheritance more. I want to be about the good works that you've prepared beforehand for me more. I just think God loves to answer those kinds of prayers. His Spirit's going to work in us and do more than we can ask or even think. He created you. You're His workmanship, and He created you for this. To rejoice in your identity and your inheritance and to walk in such a way, wherever you find yourself, that others would taste this joy. I'm just going to keep saying this to you because I just, I just feel kind of the resignation or, or the fear that's out there in the culture we live in. I want to keep saying to you, church, we were made for this moment. We are made for this moment. Made to show the world a better identity, a better inheritance, that others would taste and see with us the goodness of the Lord. To not live from a place of anxious searching for identity or self-expression or whatever ourselves. To not live plagued by those secondary identities or statuses or past sins. To not live as if you belong most to some secondary group and join the culture of outrage at the other secondary groups. But instead that you most belong to the family of God. To not live grasping and hoping in anything less than your eternal inheritance inheritance in Jesus and instead live from a place of rest in who you really are what ultimately belongs to you and the glorified joy that all of that brings and then go and walk in that and spread that and help others see that and all of that reality and all of that responsibility to spread it is ours through Jesus Christ it's all ours through Jesus Christ, right? He gets the glory and we get the glorified joy. Let's pray. So Lord, we're going to come now to the table. And so as we sit here, I'm just going to ask you a few questions and ask you to, as you're going to come and meet with Jesus, to ask yourself, where you're at with these things. First, just ask yourself in this moment, practically day to day, where are you finding your joy? What are you trusting in? What are you hoping in that is making your joy go up and down? Would you ask yourself that honestly right now? Next, would you ask yourself what things you're tempted to find an individual or corporate identity in before Jesus? What are those past thoughts that plague you, those past sins that you've committed or been committed against you? What's the word that you find your identity in? What's the status? 
And then what's the group that you're most tempted to belong to? What are the things that come before Jesus and how you view yourself and this family? The holidays are coming up and it's about to get real busy for a lot of us, but I just want you to think right now, what's one way this next week and this next month you can reorient your heart around what your supreme identity and your supreme inheritance is? What steps will you take to remind yourself, to preach to yourself about what God says is true? So, King Jesus, we, we do love your name. We love that all the promises of God find their yes in you. That all that was said this morning is true because of your finished, complete work. Your death for our sins and your resurrection to bring us new life that is true of us right now and will last forever. And so that we bring our false, our secondary identities to you. We bring all the things that we've been clinging to to you. We bring all our brokenness to you. We bring all our faulty ideas about ourselves to you. We bring all of our secondary ideologies to you. And we bring them to the foot of the cross and we say, Lord, remind us of who we are. Help us Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Help us walk in the good works you prepared before and help us know who we are and what is ours in Jesus so that we would get all the glorified joy and you would get all the glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.